All right. Well, we are going to continue in our In the Know series. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, grab those, and you're opening up to 1 John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there should be some Bibles on the chairs there in front of you, underneath you. And if you're using one of those, you're going to go to page 1372. 1372. 1 John chapter 2, 12 through 14. All right. Did I, did I see? Did any of our kids stick around? Okay. I might need some help in a few minutes in my sermon. If any of our kids, just be thinking about if you'd be willing to come up on the stage in just a few moments. I promise not to embarrass you. Okay? I might have a role for you, but I can't make the same promise. Okay. All right. All right. So um, oh, oh, we're going to continue in the book of First John. Let me ask you this to get us started this morning. Have you ever, have you ever been discouraged? Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to cast the real wide net first, right? I mean, have you ever been discouraged? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good, 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 good. Okay. Now, in that discouragement, have you, have you ever been discouraged and then it immobilizes you or keeps you from doing what you want or should be doing? You don't have to answer that one necessarily. I mean, I can, I can see nods and stuff. But, but like this, for instance, maybe the first of the year came by and, and you were set that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this workout plan. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the gym hard or I'm going to join, join some friends or whatever. And you had this, this goal and, man, you made it past the first week, second week, third, maybe even one of those that you're just now starting to trail off, right? But somewhere along the way, you got discouraged. And, and you got discouraged because every time you'd look in the mirror, you go, that's not what I want to see. I should see something different by now, right? You, you're looking for, for results that aren't there yet. And so you get discouraged and you say, so what, what's the point trying to keep going? Why, why even bother? Right? I mean, I mean maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know what, it sure would be a lot easier to work out if I already had the results that I'm looking for. And then I can just enjoy the working out instead of trying to get the results. And so you just say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to do it. Or maybe there's a, you had a plan, you wanted to eat right. And, you know, again, same kind of thing. New Year starts, you're doing real well. I'm going to eat certain things and I'm going to avoid the fried foods. And I'm going to avoid the desserts and I'm going to pull back on my sugar and whatever. But then everywhere you go, people are offering you cupcakes and cheesecake and fried, you know, foods and try this. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to resist? You know, I mean, it's like, like this for me. I've, I've had those moments where, you know what, if I don't get a workout in for the day, I tend to have a rougher day when it comes to eating. Especially if it's a day where I planned to work out and then for whatever reason I didn't get there. Something came up, whatever. Those are the days for me that are particularly frustrating because in those days, what starts to happen is then I just start eating. I eat chips. Anybody thinking Oprah Winfrey, I love chips, I eat chips. Anybody seen that commercial? Wait, what? Okay, it drives me nuts, but yeah. All right, so I eat chips, bags of chips, or maybe Oreos, and Oreos around. I can go through a whole package of Oreos like that. Bowl of cereal, I usually have one a night, but sometimes I'll have two or three. Maybe I'll even have a snack. All in a day because I didn't work out, because I just got frustrated. I got discouraged, and I said, oh, man, I'll just start over tomorrow. I'll hit it extra hard tomorrow, right? Discouragement. Or, or, or maybe, maybe if we go a little deeper, maybe you've got something you struggle with. Maybe there's a sin or, or a particular issue you struggle with. Maybe you've got an addiction of some kind. Maybe it's a secret addiction nobody knows about, but it's one of those things that, man, when you give in to that sin or you give in, you cave to that addiction, you just kind of let yourself go and you say, man, I, I don't know why I even bother. And so the rest of that day, you just kind of tumble, spiral down. You know, I can remember there's times where I've done that where I just give in to a sin, I indulge myself, and then I think, man, I just can't believe I did that. I mean, I've been doing so well. I can't believe I did that. And then because I did that, I feel so discouraged that I decide I'm just going to do it the rest of the day. I'm just going to let this whole day be a wash, and I'll start better the next day. 
you see, sometimes as Christians, we, we do those kinds of things and, and, and we try to live as we're supposed to live. We try to obey God. We try to, to, to do right and do well, but there are things that discourage us. There's things that confront us every day. And sometimes it leaves us asking, how do I continue to resist sin and obey God when this is confronting me all the time? Or is it even worth it? Why do I even bother doing that? See, sometimes what will happen is we let the discouragement lead us to disobedience. You've ever been there where you got discouraged and because of your discouragement, it just led you, you let it lead you to being disobedient. You see, I think this morning God has some encouragement for us. I think what he's going to show us is here's why you should resist. Here's how you can do that. And here's why it's worth it. And so John is trying to do that as he's writing this letter. And so you might remember that John is writing this letter to a church. And this church has had some other teachers come along and they've started teaching some different things about Jesus and causing the the readers of John's letter to question what they believe. And it's left them wondering, well, do I really have it right? Did I I get this right? Or maybe, maybe these guys that just came along teach and they've got it right. Do I really have a relationship with God? Or is that something that I was misled on? So then if, I, if I'm doubting, then I'm in a spot where that might lead to discouragement because doubt can lead to discouragement and that discouragement can lead to disobedience. Why should I bother? And so John has written them so far and he says, hey, first off, let me be clear. I'm writing you about things I've seen, things I've heard, things I've experienced. I'm an eyewitness account to the things that I'm talking to you about today. And he's writing so that they can know that they have eternal life. He, he writes at the end of his book and he says, I write to you these things so that you can know that you have eternal life, so that you can know you have that relationship with God. He starts off his letter and he says, I want you to know that you can have fellowship, this close relationship. So he's trying to tell them, hey, it's possible for you to know, and I want you to know how you can know. And so he started out in chapter one and he says, hey, if someone comes along and they claim to be without sin, chances are they don't have a relationship with God. They're walking in darkness, not light. And he would say, hey, the way to, 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 to live in a relationship with God is if you have a relationship with God, you walk in the light. You're honest before God about who you are. He would go on and he would say, hey, if, if a person has a relationship with God, then they're going to love fellow believers in Jesus. They're going to love people in the church. They're not going to hate them because if they hate them, then that shows that they're probably not in a relationship with God. So he's trying to show them, hey, here's some of the ways that you can know Here's what you should be looking for. And if someone comes along and they claim to have a relationship with God, but these things aren't evident, you should call that into question. And then he reaches chapter 2, verse 12, and it's almost like he pauses for a minute and says, you know, now it's time for a little encouragement. Is it because I've been telling you, here's how you can know. Here's how you can know. But I want to step back, John's going to say, and tell you what's true about you. And here's where we're going this morning. Can you hit go live one more time on the, the slides to see if that... There we go. All right, so he says, hey, because of what God has done for you, you can do what he expects of you. Because of what God has done for you, you can do what he expects of you. So where do you find the motivation? You got to know what God has done for you. And when you know what God has done for you, it's going to provide the motivation for you to do what he expects of you, which is to obey, to resist sin. So he's going to tell them what God has done for him. But there's some things that, that um, he's going to use to compare with. But let's read through. Let's read 12, 13, and 14. That's all the verses we're looking at. And then we'll come back and walk through them. So verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven because of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, that you have conquered the evil one. 
I have written to you, children, that you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young people, that you are strong, and the word of God resides in you, and you have conquered the evil one. All right, so here's where I need a, l- a little help. Do I, do I have any kids in here who would be willing to come up for just a minute or so on the stage? I will not embarrass you. I see some nudges over there. Lily, you want to come up? No? Okay, I'm going to respect that. Any other kids in here want to come up and help me with my sermon for just a moment? You'll get to be on camera. No, 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 no. Okay, I saw some other hands. I appreciate the effort. All right, let, let's go to the next level. Anybody? Young man, 20s, 30s. Any young men, 20s or 30s? Just one. I just need one. Want to come up and help me? I promise not to embarrass you either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, 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 thanks. Jake, give him a hand. Thank you. Works out well because I, I, I was hoping for a good strong one. All right, good, good. All right, and then I need someone who has a crown of wisdom on their head. You know, a little bit of gray, a little bit of gray. Particularly a man. If, if, if I got a man with a crown of wisdom, anybody, anybody? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Anybody? No takers? And you're going to leave Jacob here all by yourself. All right, do I have any ladies with, with uh, uh, a little bit of uh, experience in life? Oh, Mary. Okay, come on, Mary. All right. Well, we'll get, we'll get two of these pictures. Mary, thank you so much for coming up here. You got her. Thank you, Jake. All right, you guys just stand right here for me. All right, so here, here's why I want to do this. All right, now, John, as he's writing, he says, I write to you, little children. I write to you, fathers. You're going to stand in for the fathers. All right, because I'll now explain that. And then uh, I write to you young men or young people, so that's going to be you. So he starts out and he says, hey, I'm going to compare this to some seasons in life. So if I had a little kid up here, maybe 10 or under, here's what I would, I would first start out and point out to you. I'd say, hey, John starts to compare to a little kid, someone who is fairly dependent on what they need. So they have to receive what they need from people, and they're dependent on others to give that to them. And he addresses his whole church that way. All of the church, all the people who trust in Christ, he says, little children, because that's what John does. John writes, and he will often at times address his people, the people he's writing to, as children. And so he starts out, and he says, all the church, dear children, everyone who's placed their trust in Christ, everyone who has uh, recognized that they're dependent upon God and are in need of receiving from God what they need, children. But then he's going to step back, and he says, within that group, within all the church, I'm going to address two different groups, the fathers and the young men. Now, the fathers would be those who have walked with the Lord for a while. They've been in their relationship for a while. They've been living. They've been experienced. They're a little bit further down the road. They have wisdom to offer. That's you, Mary. Absolutely. And then and he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the young men next, too. And he says, these are the men who, you know what, uh, they, they, if you think about a young man physically, uh, Jake is past this point, but, you know, the young men, they're discovering life. I mean, how do I relate to the world around me and, and all this new stuff, right? And now, but Jake's a strong man. Jake hauls trees. Jake works, man. He is a, he's a good, strong man, right? So, so Jake, Jake is the guy who, man, he is just strong in life, and he, he, he exerts strength, and he represents that. He says, I'm talking to the young men. These are people who are a little bit further along in their, in their relationship with the Lord. They've been believers for a while, but they're starting to grow, and they're, they're starting to exercise their strength. He says, I'm going to talk to those people. I want to talk to the children. That's everybody. But then I'm going to talk specifically about our fathers, those who are a little older in the faith, and then our young men, those who are growing in the faith. So keep these categories in mind because it's going to help us as we go through these next verses. Guys, thank you very much for being here. So that wasn't so hard. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. So now the rest of the sermon, everyone's going to be picturing you too, okay? All right, thanks. 
All right, so this is how John's going to break it up. So let's take a look at that. He's going to say, because of what God has done for you, you can do what he expects of you. So what has God done for me, John? The first thing he's going to say is you have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God. So let's look at that. And the way we're going to do this, because if you notice that as we're reading, he says children, then he says fathers, then he says young men, then he does it all again. Fathers, uh, children, um, children, fathers, young men. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to take those side by side. So both places where he talks to children, we're going to look at those at the same time. Both places where he talks to fathers, we're going to look at those at the same time and so forth. So verse 12, and then the first part of verse 14, he says, I am writing to you, little children. Those of you who are dependent upon God for everything that you need. You can't provide it on your own. You can't get it on your own. I'm writing to you, dear children, people who, are, who have been brought into a family. I'm writing to you. That your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you that your sins have been forgiven. Because how do you become a child in the family of God? Your sins have to be forgiven. You cannot enter into a relationship with God unless that first thing has been met. Your sins have to be forgiven in order for you to enter into a relationship with God. And so John's writing and he says, hey, I'm writing to you that your sins have been forgiven. I'm reminding you, little children, all of you who have trusted in Christ, you are like a child in that you are dependent upon God for everything that you need. You must receive from someone else. And he says, I'm telling you, you receive from God what you need. Your sins have been forgiven because of his name. And not because of you. In other words, God didn't look and say, man, you're really doing good at this thing called life. You're really kind of making some good choices. And, and, you know, I see the way you're trying to treat people well. And you get it right a lot of the time. So because of that, I'm going to forgive your sins. See, he doesn't say that. You see, he couldn't say that. But instead he says, I, I'm, I'm going to forgive your sins because of my name for my glory. And John's writing and says, hey, your sins have been forgiven, but it's for his name. In other words, he did it based on what Jesus has done for you. It's for God's glory that your sins have been forgiven. Had he not acted, your sins would still be unforgiven. You see, it's because God acted that he chose to, to forgive, that he chose to send the Savior, that sins can be forgiven. And it's all because of God's sake. It's all because of his glory, not because of anything that I can boast. And there's nothing I can say that, well, this is why God forgave my sins. Why did he forgive yours? Our answer is the same. He forgave my sins because of his love. And he did it through Christ. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Nothing do I bring simply to the cross I cling? Right? He says, I'm writing you. Here's the thing you need to know first. Children, everyone who's placed your trust in Christ, if you're feeling discouraged, if these doubts are leading to discouragement that are leading to disobedience, here's what I want you to know. Your sins have been forgiven. John, do you mean all of them? Yeah, your, your sins have been forgiven, past, present, future. What about that one time when I gave into that addiction that I have? Yeah, yeah, that has been forgiven too. Have you trusted in Christ? It's been forgiven. And God knew full well what he was purchasing when he sent Christ to die on the cross. He's not surprised by you. He's not surprised by me. There's nothing that, that you and I have in our lives, even in the darkest part, part that God goes, whoa, didn't see that coming. Had I seen that, I probably wouldn't have brought you in. No, he knows full well. It's all light with God. And yet he still, still sent Christ to die for sins. And John says, I want you to start there. 
I want you to know that your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And then he says, I've written to you. And, and here's what John's doing, by the way. You notice he starts out with, I am writing, and then he says, I have written. Here's what he's doing. He's, it's just a style. Is it about to repeat some of the same things or do it, do similar things? He says, I'm sitting here and I'm writing to you right now. And then when he starts in, in you know, the second part of it, he says, you know, now I'm going to write as if I'm reading it with you. I have written to you. So he's looking back on what he's written. It's just a stylistic thing, but he says, hey, I've written to you, children, that you have known the Father. Here's what you need to know because of what God has done for you. You can do what he expects of you. Here's what you need to know. You're in a relationship with God. And it's because your sins have been forgiven. And it's only because your sins have been forgiven that John can say in verse 14, the first part, you have known the Father. You have known the Father. He says, hey, there's, you're wondering if I know this God that you're talking about, where John had started on his letter, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm writing to you that which I've seen, that which I've heard, that which I've touched with my hands. I'm proclaiming to you the word of life. He said it was from the beginning, but it's been revealed to us now. He says, I'm, I'm proclaiming that stuff to you. And then he says here, you know the Father. You have known the Father. But how do you know the Father? You see, John right here is doing something that, that he's just picked up from Jesus. John had wrote in another, another book. We call it a gospel, the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in your New Testament there. And, and Jesus had said something, and John captured what Jesus had said. And so what John's doing in his letter that we're looking at is he's really just building on what Jesus has already said, and he's fleshing it out. He's taking Jesus' theology, and he's saying, here's what it looks like to live it out. But here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth, and the life. And look, no one comes to the Father except through me. So when John writes them in 14 of that letter, and he says, hey, you have known the Father. How have they known the Father? How is that possible? Jesus says, you can't know him unless you come through me. John's saying, hey, you've gone through him. You've gone through Jesus. You've trusted in Jesus, and because you've done that, you have known the Father. But look at verse 7. Jesus goes on. He says, if you have known me, you will know my Father too. But you can't know the Father unless you go through the Son. You can't know the Father unless you've trusted in Jesus. And John's saying, look, guys, this is what God has done for you. Your sins have been forgiven. And because of that, you have known the Father because you've gone through the Son. You've trusted in him. Your relationship is legit. It's real. I've seen it. He says, you've got to start there, children, little children. But if I go back here for a minute, I don't want to take for granted something that John does here, especially in verse 14. He's been talking about children, and if you call someone a child, then you presume that somewhere along the way, whether that person's present or not, they have a father. But then he says in verse 14, you have known the father. He could have said, hey, you have known God, and that would have been fine. But John says, you have known the Father. He calls God a Father, and he talks about a relationship between children and a Father. And this is the way that we are supposed to, as children of God, if we've placed our trust in Christ, we are supposed to be able to approach God as a loving Father. Not a, not a Father who's intimidating with His presence, and you don't want to come into His presence. Not, not a Father who you don't know if today's the day where, where His hands are going to hurt you instead of love you. No, no, not a father who you can't predict what he's going to do. Not a father who's out of touch with emotions and all stone here, but never tells you how much he loves you. 
Instead, a father who you're able to freely walk into his presence because you have no doubt he loves you. You have no doubt what he's going to do with you, how he's going to treat you, that his motive will always be love. He says, children, you have known your father. And that's how we are supposed to approach him, as a loving father. See, if we, if we get in our minds that God is just distant, he's just that supreme being out there, he's the one who created all things, he's all powerful, but you know, he, he's not involved in this world, which is what the majority of people think. God's just distant, he's the supreme being, and somehow I've got to live in a way that pleases him and tip the scales in my favor. Well, if that's the way God is, and that's the way we view and approach God, then I have no motivation in this life except that, oh, I, I can try to tip the scales, but ultimately at the end of the day, I won't know. And there's no relationship. It's just, oh, that guy in the sky lives in the moon or something, whatever, right? But John says, no, no. He started on his letter and says, that's what I've seen and I've heard. With my own ears, touched with my hands, concerning the word of life, he said, that which was from the beginning, but has now been made known to us. See, the word, John would tell us in his gospel, became flesh. God, who was invisible, made himself visible in the person of Jesus. Jesus came so that we might know the Father. And John's writing, he says, children, you have known the Father. You have known him. That's where he starts. Why should I continue when, when I'm doubting maybe what I believe or I'm doubting maybe what, what, how I should live? Why should I do that when that leads me to discouragement, which then leads me to disappointment? Why should I resist? Why should I? Because, children, your sins have been forgiven, and you've known the Father. You have a relationship with God. But then he goes on, and he says, and not only that, but you know Jesus. You know Jesus. And so look with me at, at the next set of verses, the first part of verse 13 and the second part of verse 14. He says, I'm writing to you fathers, those of you who have been in this for a while, those of you who are a little more mature in the faith and who have grown in your knowledge of things, I'm writing to you right now. And keep this in mind, when John writes to all the children, the, all those who have trusted in Christ, it applies to anyone who's trusted in Christ. And now that he's going to break this into two categories, what he's going to say to the fathers it's not exclusive to just those who have been living in, in a relationship with God for a while. It applies to everyone. But he's going to just focus in on this because he's saying, like a father, like a person who's lived life for a while and gained some experience and some wisdom, here's what's true of you. And he's going to say something about young men, but it's not that what he says to the young men doesn't apply to everyone else as well. He's just using these life seasons to compare. So he says, hey, I'm writing to you fathers, those of you who've been in this for a while, that you have known him who is from the beginning. And this is specifically a reference to Jesus, him who is from the beginning, because that's how John opened up his letter. That which was from the beginning, which I have seen, which I have heard, which I have touched with my, my hands. He says, you have known him. You see, these other teachers would come along and they had started to, to teach some things that had caused this church to doubt. Maybe we don't know Jesus. Maybe Jesus wasn't really who we think he is. Maybe all the things we believe about him is not quite right. And so they start to doubt, maybe I have not known him. And John writes and says, no, no, <laughs> you've known him who is from the beginning. You've known Jesus. You know him now. Here's the thing, though. You see, in, in our American churches and maybe even Western European churches, we tend to do this thing that John was not intending us to do. And really that none of these biblical authors were intending us to do. See, we take a word and we, we say, oh, you have known him. And we separate and we say, 
know about, but not necessarily know in a relational sense. We separate those two as if they can be separated. And John never intended those two to be separated. To know about someone means you also know them in a relational way. But we, in our, in our Western minds, in our, especially our American Christianity, we tend to separate those two. And we emphasize the people, you've got to know more about God. And that's true. You've got to know more about him. But here's the key. The more you know about him should correspond with the more you know him relationally. Not this, devising, this, this dividing where you say, I know more about him, but hey, I don't really know him any better than when I was just a baby Christian, when I was just a child. See, those two shouldn't, shouldn't be distinct. John's not trying to, dis, to distinguish those two. They go together. That word, no. You know, here's why I say that. That word no used other places in that very same relational sense. In fact, you know this. If you grew up reading your Bible or you went to church as a kid and went to Sunday school, you remember that when it would talk about people, particularly in the Old Testament, it would say things like this. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and they bore a son. And you're like, wow, is that how it happens? You just know someone? And then you're like, well, why don't we have a kid? Because I know you. See, you, you don't get it. But as you grow up, you realize, oh, to know means to know. There's an intimacy there, right? And, you know, it's not just knowing about someone that produces a kid, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep this a little vague because there's still some young years here, and I don't want you to have to have this conversation too early. Okay, there's intimacy, though, behind this word know. It's not just facts. You don't just know about someone, but the more you know about someone, you should know more deeply them. That's what John has in mind. He says, hey, fathers, those of you who've been in this for a while, you know him. In other words, hey, you've got your facts right. You believe the right things about Jesus, and you know him. This one that you've known from the beginning. The goal is not to just know more about, but to know more deeply. See, Paul, the apostle, wrote a different letter to the Philippians, and he said something similar you see, because what we tend to do is we tend to emphasize, I know more about, and then we start to boast. Oh, I read my Bible this much. I know this much about my Bible. I'm pastor of pastors, leader of leaders. I have taught seminary. I teach a Sunday school class. I've studied this many hours. I've watched this many sermons, whatever, and we start to boast. But that's not evidence that we know God. That's not evidence that we're in a relationship. See, what, what could be going on there is, hey, you just know more about God. But you don't necessarily know him, because if you did, you probably wouldn't be saying that. And see, that's what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, look, there was a day, and I, he says, I was, I was a leader of leaders. I, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I trained the religious leaders. I was an expert in the Old Testament. I knew these things, and I was a spiritual giant. Man, I would fast when I needed to fast. I was from this tribe of Israel, you know, and, and he just reads this list off. All these things that he says, man, these used to be, this used to be me. He says, but now all these things, all those things I used to boast in, he says, I count them as rubbish, dung, they're waste, they're, they're without purpose because of the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. And he would say it this way in, in Philippians 3.10, the goal is, my aim is that I would know him. See, but he's not saying, hey, my goal is that I just know more about him. He said, no, my goal is that I would know him, that I would grow more deeply in my relationship with him. And then he says, and I would know the power of his resurrection. See, Paul was not just talking about uh, uh, growing in our knowledge about someone. 
to grow in your knowledge about God should correspond with knowing God more deeply. And that's what John has in mind here. Fathers, here's what's true of you. You have known him who is from the beginning. You have that relationship with Jesus. You know him. There's that intimacy. Don't discount that. And then he says the same thing in the second part of verse uh, 14. The only thing he changes there is that verb tense that we talked about. Then he goes on, and the third thing he says is, hey, here's what else God has done for you. You have overcome Satan. And here's what he says. So this is Jake now. Okay, this is, this is the young men he's writing to, the young people, the people who are, they're a little past that, that, that baby Christian. They've, they've, they've started to grow past that dependency stage where I receive everything I need. And now they're starting to figure out how they relate to things in this world. You know, everything changes as you're growing up and you reach the young man stage, right? Your, your world starts to change the way you relate. The people start to change and, and you start to kind of experience, oh, okay, so this is how I adult. Okay, this is, how I, this is how I relate to girls now or guys now. This is, this is how I, I handle my job or my, 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 my responsibilities, right? You start to kind of experience things that come with growing up. And he says, hey, this is a person who's growing in their faith. They're, they're, they haven't been doing this for a whole long time, but hey, they're growing in it. They're young men. They're strong. They're vibrant. He says, you have conquered the evil one. You've overcome Satan. The evil one is Satan, the one in whom sin is sourced and the one who has the power of sin. And he says, hey, you've, you've conquered him. You've overcome him. Okay, John, but you're going to have to get a little more specific because what does that mean? Okay, we'll jump to the third part of verse 14. He says, I have written to you, young people, that you are strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, 20 and 30-year-old guys especially, we tend to think we're strong. And we tend to think we're stronger than we maybe actually are, and we lift things, right? Maybe more than what we should. We pay the consequences later, right? But, but we, we tend to just exercise with brute strength, you know? I mean, if you're, you're a 20 or 30-something guy, you've probably had someone say to you who's a little further along, you know, we could have team lifted that. Ah, no, no, but I got my workout in, right? You know, carrying that thing. Later on, you're feeling that. See, young men are strong. Uh, you think about a young woman who's growing. She's starting to exercise her her, her identity and her independence, she's strong. Young people are pictured as strong. And he says, hey, you're strong. But you see, here's the thing. Sometimes young people, and especially if we're growing in our faith, right past that part where, man, I, I realize I'm dependent totally on God. I need him to give me what I need. But then we start to grow and we start to study the scriptures and we start to, to see things we've never seen before. We're that young person spiritually. Well, sometimes what starts happening is we start to think that strength what John's talking about, you're strong. You see, we don't read the next part. And we think, I am strong. And we start boasting in us. I saw that. And, and, and we start to maybe get some pride about ourselves and some arrogance. And, and we maybe even go to the point where we tell people who are, we at least judge people who are further along. We're going, how could you have not seen that? I mean, I've seen it. Right? And you start to, to think you're better off than someone else because you're strong, you're growing. All of a sudden, God's opening all this stuff up to you that you've never seen before because you're just growing at a rapid pace. And you look at people ahead of you and going, why don't you get this? You know, and, and, and you just start to boast in yourself because you think, I'm strong. And John says, yeah, you, you're strong. But then he goes on and tells you where that source of strength is. Now, the Word of God resides in you. You're not strong because you've mustered up some kind of faith because you have something impressive about you before God. You're strong, he says, like a young person, like a young man, because the word of God is in you. 
See, the strength that you have as a young person, as a young believer, as someone who's growing, it's, it's you're growing because God is the one who causes the growth. You know, someone plants, he said, Paul would say, and someone waters. He says, but make no mistake. God is the one who caused the growth. So why do we go and say, oh yeah, I did some pretty impressive water. Did you see the way I held that hose the other day? I poured that water over that plant like no one else's business. You know, did you see how deep I put that seed? Man, I got it just right. See, he says, there's no room for boasting there. Because if, if, if it was just up to you, that seed would still be in the ground. Doesn't matter how much water you put in it. Doesn't matter how deep you dug. God is the one who caused the growth. He says, you're strong because the word of God resides in you. And he doesn't just mean you've memorized a lot of scriptures. That would be great. But that's not what John's talking about. You know why? Because they didn't have personal Bibles when John wrote them. So it's not like they, they had their Bibles where they could just flip to it and say, John, I'm going to memorize 1 John 1, 9. That looks like a good verse. Because what would happen is someone would be reading this in the congregation. And maybe they'd remember parts. Then they had some scrolls of Old Testament. But they didn't have their personal Bibles like you and I have. So, so re, to, to, to reduce this down to just memorize Scripture, that's not, that's not what John's talking about. You see, John's already told us what he's talking about. He's already talked about the Word of God. He's already talked about the Word several times. He would say, hey, can, uh, the, the things that I've seen and heard, I, this is what I'm proclaiming to you. He would say in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he would say, concerning the Word of life. Oh, John, you're talking to me about a person. Oh, okay, and you're talking to me about a message. Okay, and then he would go on in, in chapter 1, verse 10, and he would he is just finished talking about, hey, you got to walk in the light just as God is in the light. That means live openly and honestly before God about who you are. Don't, don't lie about your sin. Come open. But he would say in verse 10 of chapter 1, the person who says they don't have sin is a liar, and his word is not in him. Oh, okay, John, so when you say that the word of God resides in me, you mean, too, that I'm walking honestly before God. I'm confessing my sin before him. Yeah, yeah. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, John would go on, and he would say, hey, if you obey or if you love others, you'll obey his commandments because the word of God is in you. Oh, okay, so when I love others, that shows that the word of God is in me. That shows I have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, oh, okay. He's saying to them, look, you have a relationship because Jesus is in you. And hey, that's been evidenced by the way that you're walking in the light and that you're loving others. He's saying, I've seen this. I'm writing to remind you of these things so that you don't let discouragement lead you to disobedience. He's saying, press on, because in the next verses that we're going to look at next week, he's going to say, now resist the world. But how can you resist the world if you don't know what God has done for you? Because if you don't know what God has done for you, and you're looking for the results that aren't there, and you're saying, hey, I would work out if I had the results already. But John's saying the results are already there. Your sins have been forgiven. You've known him who's from the beginning. And hey, you're strong and you've overcome the evil one. The results are there. God has done this for you already. So now resist. Stand firm. Keep going. That's why he's saying, hey, because of what God has done for you, you can do what he expects of you just to obey, to resist sin and obey God. Because of what God has done for you, you can do what he expects for you. Don't let doubt lead you to be discouraged. And then in that discouragement, as you, you say, man, I'm not where I should be. I, I'm, not, I'm not the way that, that, that I want to be at this point. And then you say, well, why bother even trying? Don't let that lead you to disobedience. Instead, you need to know what God has done for you if you've trusted in Jesus. I want to invite Jeff to come back up here because in just a moment we're going to take some time to reflect. But, but here's what maybe some of you this morning, here's what you need to, to know this morning. Some of you, maybe this is it. 
Maybe you need to know, this is what God has done for me. Where do I find the motivation? Why should I continue to resist sin? Why should I obey God? Because of what he's done for you. Have you trusted in Jesus? Then your sins have been forgiven. Every one of them, past, present, and future. So why then do we, when we sin, we, we do this thing where we say, man, I, I gave in, and so I shrink back into the darkness, and, and we're not ready to come into the light yet because we're going to carry that guilt a little bit. God, I, I, I'm not ready to come to you. I know you say just confess your sins, and you're faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, but God, I'm not ready to do that yet. I want to feel this a little bit. I, I feel so bad about what I did, and so I want, to, I want to feel punishment. God, can you just judge me a little bit? God, can you, can you punish me? Can, can you help me feel it? We just want to feel those consequences. Man, I, I remember that. When, when there's times where I would give in to sin, I'm going, God, I don't want to come and confess. I want to feel punished for a while. Because somehow, feeling punished, feeling the consequences of my sin, I feel like I've earned my way back in. But God's saying, it's not about earning it. There's nothing for you left to pay. It's already been paid. But we'll do that. So some of you just need to know, hey, because of what God's done, your sins have been forgiven. You've known the Father. You know Jesus. You've overcome the evil one, so why do you continue to submit to him? Some of you need to then press on. Others of you this morning, maybe you're going, man, I, I need to know God. I need to know God as Father. The only way you can know God as Father is to go through Jesus the Son. God has shown his love for us, Paul would say in Romans 5, 8, that he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners. So if you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not good enough yet. No, I don't have this under control yet. That's the whole point. Nobody does, nobody did. Paul says it's while you were still sinners. That's when God sent Jesus to die. That's when he demonstrates his love for us. You don't have to clean up before you come to God. You come to God and then he'll clean you up. You don't have to, you don't have, to have certain areas of your life under control. Just go to him like a child and say, God, I'm dependent upon you. I need what you have to give. I need life. I need saving. I need that relationship. I need to know you as my father. He does that for you in Christ because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. So maybe that's some of, some of you, what you need to do this morning. So let's just take a moment. Jeff's going to sing a chorus or two and take us time and ask God, God, what, what's my takeaway this morning? What do I need from you this morning? What do you want me to do? What do you need to remind me of this morning? How do you want to encourage me this morning? Let's do that now. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. this morning we we need your help 
we need you to, to, to encourage us this morning where we're discouraged. We need you to remind us this morning of what you've done for us. God, some of us need you this morning to remind us what you did for us, and we need to respond to that. God, would you let your spirit meet us where we are this morning? And in that next moment, even if it's later today in a few minutes, a few hours, where God, we, we catch ourselves going, man, I just messed it up again. Instead of us shrinking back into the darkness, God, would you gently call us back to the light? No, no, see, I, your sins have been forgiven. Call us into the light where we can walk before you as people who've been forgiven, as people who know the Father, who know Jesus, who have overcome the evil one. God, let your spirit speak it, yell it, whisper it, whatever he needs to do to get it through to us so that we would continue to resist, continue to press on and continue to grow, that the goal would be that we would know him just more about him. So right after our service this morning, uh, there'll be a few people over just in this back corner to your right and where the lamp is. If you need some prayer this morning, you want to pray with someone, we'll have a few people over there to pray with you. Just let them know, hey, I need some prayer on this. And so if you're available to pray with people, as soon as we dismiss, just make your way over there so you can be available. And if you've recently trusted in Jesus or if you did that this morning, just let them know, I did that this morning and I need prayer and I want to know what's next. And, They'll pray with you and help, help you do that. So, Father, we are so grateful to you. Speak to us because we want to hear from you, need to hear from you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you are uh, our, our guest this morning, if we've not had a chance to say hello, we'd love to do that. If you have a few minutes right after the service, if you'll exit these doors and just hang a right, we'll meet you down by the couches. We'd love to say hello. And again, if there's any questions you have at the moment, we'd love to maybe answer some of those for you. Okay, and with that, if you're able, please stand and we'll dismiss. So depart from here and know that your God has provided for you what you need. So don't let doubt seep in and lead you to be discouraged and let that lead you to disobedience. Instead, trust in what God has done and walk as people who have been made alive, who know the Father, and can approach your Father. We do that in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.